What happens when we spring a leak? Find out on this episode of Pushback. you're concerned about the direction our culture is heading, then maybe it's time to push back. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Pushback. I'm Dr. Johnny. And, you know, sometimes life is funny. Uh, I've titled this podcast this week, Spring a Leak. And I'm going to be talking about the document that was leaked uh, in the Supreme Court about abortion because it makes me very excited, somewhat concerned. Uh, we're going to talk about that in this episode. It's interesting, uh, at the same time this week, uh, just a couple days ago, our well sprung a leak. <laughs> so I don't know how these things happen in the kingdom, uh, whether there is sort of a, an alignment that goes on, I don't know. Uh, but we noticed that around our well, the water was bubbling up, and it's turned out that over the course of years, a rock next to our well just eroded a hole. And uh, I wish it was oil or something that was bubbling up from the ground, but it wasn't. It was water, and we had to pay to get that fixed. Um, so the leak is fixed which is not the same uh, to be true for the Supreme Court uh, that's been happening this week, uh, starting last week. Um, it's, uh, I, you know, as God is my witness, I gave a message last week uh, regarding uh, motherhood and the power of being a parent and the power of family. And I had nothing in my brain about the fact that it was Mother's Day this last weekend. You're going to think, oh, that's sweet. He timed that and did a mother message on Mother's Day. That was actually not the case. I just want, it's kind of like a disclaimer. I want you to know that. Like I wasn't trying to be corny and doing some kind of Mother's Day message. It's just truly what was on my heart that week. And uh, <laughs> I, I did remember that it was Mother's Day, by the way. I didn't forget that part of it, um, but it was not connected in my brain. Um, so I hope uh, the, those of you who are listening who are moms, I hope you were honored by that and hopefully inspired uh, by the message of how powerful you are and uh, how important you are to setting culture into this world. And we can never, ever back down from that position. So this has been kind of a monumental, you know, 10 days. You know, I started this podcast as, um, if I can be so bold to say, as a cultural reformer. That's what I believe that the Lord has put into my heart, and, and I, I don't think I should be embarrassed to say that. That's my heart. That's what I want to see. I want to see culture transformed into uh, heaven's culture and that we are here on this earth for that purpose. You've, if you're a regular listener, you've heard me say that a million times. And then when you see culture actually shifting, when there's actually a change, it buoys you, it, it, it encourages you. And so I feel that this week. And so hopefully you can celebrate that with me, that uh, there are some things happening in this world, things that I guess I never would have, well, I shouldn't say never dreamed because I absolutely have dreamed it to be true. Um, but I feel like there's that real possibility that it will become true. And of course, what I'm referring to is the Supreme Court potential ruling in regards to Roe versus Wade. 
We are dangerously close to the 50th anniversary of Roe v. Wade here in this country. And, you know, when something sticks around for that long and becomes sort of codified into law, um, it is really hard, sometimes impossible to change it. Although for the three seasons I've been doing this podcast, I have been calling for that as the most important cultural topic that is in front of us today. And because of, I believe, the movement and the power of the Holy Spirit and his people here on earth, things are shifting. Things are shifting. And it's, it's, um, I'm overwhelmed with, with joy and gratitude at the even possibility that things could possibly change or be overturned. If you are unfamiliar with what I'm referring to, uh, there is a case coming before the Supreme Court, um, hopefully in the very near future, challenging Roe v. Wade in its entirety. And there is a document uh, that was done by, by Justice Alito uh, that was leaked. Now, that is an illegal uh, act. It's a felony uh, and uh, is hopefully being pursued according to to reports that it is. Um, and they think that most likely it would be, you know, sort of a, a, a liberal activist that would want to leak this so as to make this a bigger election issue, to bring it to the forefront, to try to maneuver any way they can to resist the change. But there was a, a statement in this leaked document regarding um, the position, potential position of the Supreme Court justices uh, in regards to Roe v. Wade. And it was a complete um, overturn of the initial ruling. And I will get into that a little bit in the future. But before I do that, I just want to take a couple minutes to just explain how we got here. I'm going to do a little bit more of just information for you, because remember, it's so important that we know what we're talking about here, that we know what's at stake. In 1969, the year I was born, by the way, a 25-year-old single woman, Norma McCorvey, under the pseudonym Jane Roe, challenged the criminal abortion laws in Texas. The state forbade abortion as unconstitutional, except in cases where the mother's life was in danger. Defending the anti-abortion law was Henry Wade, the district attorney for Dallas County, hence Roe v. Wade. Miss McCorvey was, pr was pregnant with her third child when she filed the case and claimed that she had been raped, but the case was rejected and she was forced to give birth. I've actually dug into a little bit of Miss McCorvey's life, um, and uh, she, had, she had a rough one. It was a, a um, life filled with turmoil and strife for sure. In 1973, her appeal made it to the U.S. Supreme Court, where her case was heard alongside that of a 20-year-old Georgia woman, Sandra Bensing. They argued that abortion laws in Texas and Georgia went against the U.S. Constitution because they infringed on a woman's right to privacy. By a vote of 7-2, to two, the court justices ruled that governments lacked the power to prohibit abortions. They judged that a woman's right to terminate her pregnancy was protected by the U.S. Constitution. So how did this case change women's rights? The case, and I put this in quotes, created the trimester system. Now, I think that's an interesting sentence, and I, I want to not skip over that sentence, because a case can't create a system where we determine when life begins. Like, who determines that? Who created it? Created is kind of an interesting word, because we only know one creator, and 
his view on this subject. It gives American women absolute right to an abortion in the first three months or the first trimester of pregnancy. It allows some government regulation in the second trimester of pregnancy and declares that states may restrict or ban abortions in the last trimester of pregnancy. That's very simplistic, but it gives you an overall summary. In the 49 years since Roe v. Wade, anti-abortion campaigners have regained some ground. As a result, states have restrictions in place such as that young pregnant women involve their parents or a judge in their abortion decision. Others have introduced waiting periods between the time a first woman visits an abortion clinic and the actual procedure. So there is a current challenge now of Roe v. Wade, and the Supreme Court is considering a case which challenges Mississippi's ban on abortion after 15 weeks. If the court rules in favor of Mississippi, it would effectively end the constitutional right to an abortion and make abortion rights a decision for individual states once again. There are nine judges on the Supreme Court, six of whom were appointed by Republican presidents. And a draft from one of these, Judge Samuel Alito, has been leaked and contains the comment that Roe v. Wade judgment is egregiously wrong. Hallelujah. If the Supreme Court strikes down the 1973 ruling, then abortion could be banned in almost half of the U.S. states. Now, I dug into this because I know that not everybody who's listening to this podcast is from my state of Minnesota, which I will talk about in just a second. But I just want to go through real quickly um, what this means. 26 states are certain or likely to ban abortion if Roe v. Wade is overturned. Of those, 22 states already have total or near total bans on the books that are currently blocked by Roe, aside from Texas. The state's law banning it after six weeks has already been allowed to go into effect by the Supreme Court due to its unusual civil enforcement structure. Four more states are considered likely to quickly pass bans if Roe is overturned based on the political composition of those states. So states with trigger laws already loaded to be activated the second Roe v. Wade gets overturned. Arkansas, Idaho, Kentucky, Louisiana, Mississippi, Missouri, North Dakota, Oklahoma, South Dakota, Tennessee, Texas, Utah, and Wyoming. Uh, states considered certain or likely to ban abortions, Alabama, Arizona, Georgia, Iowa, Michigan, Ohio, South Carolina, West Virginia, and Wisconsin. States expected to try to ban abortion if Roe is overturned. Florida, Indiana, Montana, and Nebraska. 16 states in the District of Columbia, meanwhile, have protected access to abortion in state law. So hopefully that helps at least trigger you or you are and what that means for you. Um, let me talk about my state, the state of Minnesota. Now you may have heard, I read those very quickly, but all the states surrounding Minnesota Iowa, North Dakota, South Dakota, Wisconsin, all either have triggers, um, plan to overturn or uh, uh, ban abortion, or will fight for that. Unfortunately, Minnesota was not on that list. And so the part of this conversation that brings concern for me living here in Minnesota is this nauseating headline. Minnesota could become a destination for abortion services for women from other states if the U.S. Supreme Court throws out the landmark Roe v. Wade decision. I read that 
and I all of a sudden a flush kind of came over my face because of the state that I live in that I love so much. And so there is something on the precipice right now that would would protect millions of unborn lives and is absolutely what myself and others have been fighting for culturally in this country. And yet there are going to be these pockets, these regions where abortion may actually escalate because of those looking for access to this. Minnesota is one of those and it's humbling and it's painful to even talk about because I love this place where I've grown up so much, which makes me rejoice and makes me dig in at the same time because the battle will certainly not be over once this decision is made. Because abortion would remain legal, at least for now, under a 1995 Minnesota Supreme Court ruling known as Doe versus Gomez, which effectively established a right to abortion under the state constitution. Minnesota has some significant restrictions in place, including a 24-hour waiting period, a requirement that minors notify both parents before they can get an abortion, and a requirement that only doctors can perform abortions. Minnesota abortion providers are concerned about meeting demands from non-residents. Planned Parenthood from the North Central State said her organization has been, quote, fortifying its delivery systems, including telemedicine, in preparation. The group's medical director said demand in Minnesota is expected to rise up to 25%, depending on exactly what the court, high court rules and what happens in states such as Iowa, Kansas, and Nebraska. There's been a new abortion clinic that's been opened in Bloomington, and around 30% of its patients are already from out of state, some as far as away as Texas. At this point, Roe v. Wade has not been overturned and abortion is still legal at the federal level, but still several high-profile Minnesota politicians have weighed in. Tina Smith, uh, Minnesota senator, a Democrat, uh, used, uh, used to work at Planned Parenthood. This is what she said. Quote, there is nothing more American than the right to freedom, autonomy, and self-determination. My friends, is that a statement of pro-abortion or anti-abortion? There's nothing more American than the right to freedom, autonomy, and self-determination. What about the unborn baby's self-determination? Yet the Supreme Court is preparing to strip away that for half the country? Or are they looking to restore that to half the country or more, God willing? I think Tina Smith's quote is very, very telling. Democratic Governor Tim Walz, who's running for re-election this fall, pledged to protect abortion rights in Minnesota. He said, will this change? Not on my watch, he wrote. If the issue of abortion and reproductive rights is also poised to be a hot-button issue in the upcoming Minnesota gubernatorial race, Scott Jensen, one of the several Republican candidates looking to unseat Governor Walls, 
tweeted, protect the life of the unborn. Former Minnesota Senate Majority Leader Paul Gazelka and personal friend of mine, who is also running for governor, is on the record as being anti-abortion. Gazelka released the following statement on the March for Life, and I quote, We all have value. We all have dignity. We are all worth fighting for. As we remember the 48th anniversary of the court's decision and the millions of lives lost to abortion, I remain committed to my views that we must diligently protect life from conception until natural death. My friends, do you think this next election matters? Do you think it's important? I think it's critical, especially in a state in which I live where where I think things are ripe for a change. I don't think people are happy with the current leadership. And I pray that somebody like Paul Gazelka can rise up and take the governorship and 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 change the rudder and the direction of the state. What an opportunity. So let's pray to that end. Let's let's be active in the political process. Let's let's uh, put our money where our mouth is. And let's move forward in regards to the state of Minnesota. Pushing the envelope even farther, they interviewed Mitch McConnell uh, and talked about could we go so far as to make a ban on abortion be a national ban? Just like there was the protection nationally for Roe v. Wade, could we go a little bit further? In an interview with USA Today, uh, published over the weekend, McConnell said in a draft represented the final ruling, uh, legislative bodies certainly could legislate in that area. As of now, the leaked opinion from the court would allow states to implement their own abortion bans, but it would not ban abortion on the national level. If this were the final decision, that was the point that it should be resolved one way or the other in the legislative process. So yeah, it's possible, he said. And a practical note, the Senate would need 60 votes to codify that kind of legislation, which makes it unlikely. Unless things change, unless the culture changes, unless the election changes and shifts. My friends, I didn't believe that, (laughs) I take that back. I did believe, I did believe that this could happen. I'm astonished that it is. I'm rejoicing that it is. That this is even in conversation. So I think anything also is possible. Just like Mitch McConnell said. I've talked about this several times, as I mentioned before, as the number one cultural issue facing the world today. And I will not back down from that position, despite all of the other really important things that I've talked about over three seasons. This is number one by far. In episode 238, I entitled a podcast called Hope in Mudville and talked about engaging in the national discourse. And how this, what is happening now, that what this leaked document has proven is that there is a potential shift, a potential powerful, important, life-saving shift that's happening. That's what I talked about in that, that this is possible. And now I believe we're seeing it coming to fruition. My friends, what an exciting time. What a what a change. But we can't become complacent. We, we should celebrate for sure, 
but the celebration should be temporary as we continue to contend for all 50 states uh, for our nation to ban abortion as we look to those things. And we need to, once again, be able to have a intelligent discussion because now, this is the reason I'm doing this podcast again now, not just to give you a news report, which is super important, but to but to motivate you to engage in conversation because this is going to be talked about. This is going to be talked about on election, in debates, at the ballot box, at the neighborhood, by the water cooler, in our businesses, uh, at our churches. This is going to be discussed. And we need to be in the center, in, in, the, in the heartbeat of the conversation that we can have an intelligent, compassionate, honoring discussion about this because culture is bubbling around this topic right now. And we have a great opportunity to stand on the bully pulpit and, and, and stand on our soapbox and talk about what's important, what is the most important. So I'm going to remind you, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is, is our mission statement for our country. And I believe, and this is a talking point for you that you can use, that I believe it's in that order. Because what's happening when we're seeing the protests at the Supreme Court, when we're seeing people with picket signs, what they are picketing and what they are protesting is liberty. The protection of privacy for women's bodies. And I'm not, I'm not trying to say that that's not real. I'm not trying, to, not trying to say that that's not important. What I'm saying is, is that it's secondary. It's secondary to life. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness in that order. Meaning that my pursuit of happiness cannot trump your liberty and your liberty cannot trump my right to life. And so the conversation, although they're going to try to make it about so many different things, you'll already see the propaganda wave coming in the liberal media talking about now they want to take away your contraception. Now they want to end gay marriages. All of these other, they're trying to bring a fear-based um, approach to this particular issue. And those other issues are important and those other issues can be addressed in the future. But right now, we need to be laser focused on this particular issue. And the issue is life and when life begins. Don't move away from that topic because that is the primary topic. Secondarily is liberty and tertiary is the pursuit of happiness. They're all important, but there is a hierarchy. Life Life is the key. Just as Tina Smith said, <laughs> freedom, autonomy, and self-determination. It's about life. It's about life. Liberty is important, but life is more important and the protection of it. I had an episode in season one, episode 33. If you are new to my podcast, please go back and listen to this because this will give you, um, I would say, the script, the template, the talking points that can be used to engage culture. It's entitled, When Does Life Begin? Season one, episode 33. If you've heard my podcast before and you've been following me all along, would you please honor me by going back and listening to it again? Because now this is happening. This is going to be in the center of national discourse and discussion. So go back, refresh your mind with what, what's the most important thing. What are the speaking topics? What are the ways that we can engage with honor? 
or we don't shake our fist and we become angry, but we actually become um, laser focused, that we become knowledgeable so that we're not ignorant and we can talk about what matters most. I give some very salient points, very um, cultural, relevant points. And we can defend from the Bible and we can defend as Christians. And I think that's super, super important. So please don't misunderstand me. But when we engage the world, we also need to have a moral argument. We also need to have a cultural argument. And I believe that I can give you those as well in season one, episode 33, when does life begin? Please refresh yourself with that. My friends, my heart is is burning it's burning because there's hope. There's hope for this topic and things can shift and things can change. And I believe that when even these 26 states are able to change and to turn away from the culture of death, that I believe that there will be a spiritual awakening that will take place once that cloak of death is removed and other states are going to want it too. I know that sounds like uh, like a pie-in-the-sky, ivory tower kind of argument, but I believe in the power of the Spirit, and I believe that can be true. So if we can have it be the case, even in the states that surround Minnesota, I believe that there can be a demonstration of heaven here on this earth, which is what this world needs so desperately. I hope you hear my passion in this topic, and this will not be the last time that I talk about this. And this will certainly keep you posted as um, this drama unfolds in Washington, D.C. I love you all so much. Please engage me on this topic by going to pushbackculture.org, pushbackculture.org. Leave comments, questions on this topic or others. And so let's go together now to set and shape the culture.